Good morning. Y'all doing well this morning? Love Jesus today? So good to be with each one of you in church. If we haven't met, my name is Dave DeFrancesca, and my wife Tara is just over there, and we'd love to have the opportunity to meet you on the way out this morning in the lobby. Shake your hand, let you know it's good to see you this morning. Maybe we've met before. It could be good to see you again today. We are loving what God is doing here at the Avenue. We really enjoy all that... uh, he gives us the opportunity to do what a great morning of worship. Our band did a fantastic job. Come on, somebody. Thank them for the hard work. You know, they get here extra early, and they volunteer, and they serve on our dream team and do an amazing job, and our people in the back taking care of our children this morning. Come on, can we get it? They're not even hearing you. They don't even know. And so many other volunteers that do amazing things around here to make it possible for us to have service here um, throughout the, on Sundays, two services at 9 and 10.30, which kind of leads me into this. We will be having three services again on Easter Sunday morning, so 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. Speed Sports has agreed to open up at 1 p.m. on Easter Sunday, so we will have the 11.30 service as well. So 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30, Easter Sunday, three services. What a great time if you want to be a part you want to begin serving, if you want to be on the dream team, if you say, hey, where can you use me? We could use your help. Don't let it go unasked or, I mean, unknown. Like, ah, do they really need us? <laughs> We'd love to have you lean in a little bit and be a part on that Sunday. Uh, every Sunday, actually, but that would be a great Sunday. Feels like it's so far away, and yet Easter is just around the corner. In my mind, as soon as we get past Christmas, I'm thinking about Easter. And as soon as I get past Easter, I'm thinking about vacation. (laughs) Just like all of (laughs) y'all. Here we go. We're going to dive into a uh, part two of our series this morning. Let me remind you, if you're in a small group, awesome. If you're not in one, get in one. You get information on small groups on the website or the QR code there on the way out. And also tonight, our Avenue Youth have a big one-night conference right here in the room. So we're excited for that. So if you have students, if you know anybody, hey, if you see a kid randomly walking down the road, they look like a teenager. You fill in the part. I didn't tell you to do it, but just invite them to be here, and they can come out and be a part as well tonight. If you've got some kids, come on out and be here from 6th to 12th grade. They're going to be an amazing time at 7 p.m., a message tailored just for them, and a, a worship and games and food, awesome time. And so have your kids come out for that. And also, the ladies' retreat, sign up, uh, see Pastor Tara for that. We began a series last week called, It's Not You, It's Me. And what we do in this, what we're doing in this series is covering the topic of relationship. So we're covering everything. So if you're single, we're talking to you. If you're married, we're talking to you. If you're unmarried, if you're divorced, we're talking to you. If you feel like you're headed towards divorce, we're talking to you. If you're a teenager and you've got parents, if you're a parent with kids, we're having conversations with each one because inside of the context that we set it up, we laid the foundation last week was simply to say that oftentimes in the dating relationship, people would use that term to get out of something, to weasel out, to kind of squirm out of a relationship and say, oh, oh, oh it's not you, but it's me. Really, their breath stunk. Really, really, they had issues and challenges, but we would put it on ourselves. But the context of this series is simply to say that really, truly, I don't want to worry so much about who you are, but I'm going to focus my attention on who I am. So in order to have the best relationships as possible in my life, from everything from friends 
to family, to relatives, to spouses, to dating, whatever arena your relationships fall into. If you can focus on who you are and becoming the person God created you to be, well, now we can begin to see our relationships blossom and grow and develop. Now, if you came today and it's your very first time, which I can see several first-timers out here, and it's awesome, it's great to be here, I'm so glad you're here, but you came on that day when we're going to talk about that particular part of relationships. <laughs> and so you're like, do they always talk this way at the church? No, 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 not always, but sometimes, but we're in this, like we're just trying to be as real as possible and as raw as possible and as vulnerable as possible. So if you have your kids in here, they are safe. If you'd like to take your kids out, that is okay. Kids on the app would love to have them, but my kids will be in here in the next service. This is more than appropriate conversation to be having with our children as well. It is going to be, uh, it's great because I do believe that we as parents and church need to be leading the way on the conversation with purity and sex. And so in saying that, we're going to dive right into this this morning and understand that oftentimes um, we have to get our minds wrapped around this concept that being a virgin is not the goal. Living a life to get to a certain means, doing a certain thing is not the answer. Like, that's part of it. It's a byproduct. I want to be a person of purity in my life, every area of my life, not just sexually, but every area of my life. I want to have pure motives and intentions when I do business at work. I want to have pure motives and intentions when I go to the store and have a transaction I have to make. I want to have pure motives and intentions no matter who I'm dealing with, be it my wife or my kids or my parents, anyone, I want to walk in this thing called purity. So this morning, I want to have a conversation about having a passion in your life for purity and what that looks like. So we're going to read a scripture. Psalm 119 is a verse that I read with our boys. Now, if you ask Luca, who is 10, he would not necessarily be as familiar. He's 10, but he knows it. Frankie, though, at 17, knows this scripture well because we've built a lot of our foundation of raising our 17-year-old off of this verse, off of this collection of scriptures. And so I want to read it to you, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into this message today. Psalm 119, verse 9 says this, how can a young person, and don't stop there and be like, well, you know, I'm not quite young anymore, or I want to dive into the young category when it's convenient, but not right there. Everybody, how can anybody stay on the path of purity? And here's the answer, by living according to your word, God. I will seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how can I live this life of purity? How can I stay on the path? By living according to your word, by seeking you with my heart, by not straying. What does he do? He takes an action. He says, I've taken your word, I've put it in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Can I take a moment? I want to wish my mom and dad, they just celebrated 50 years of being married together. Like 50 years. Come on. Congratulations, Mom and Dad. So excited for you. We, were, we had the opportunity to be there with them this past weekend as they celebrated a little party, uh, and we got to go up on Thursday, come back late last night, 
So uh, it was a long day of travel, but I'm excited for this morning, but I just had a great time there celebrating. 50 years is a big accomplishment, and so shout out to them for that. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your love and your mercy and your grace. Speak to us today. Open our ears, our minds, our eyes to see, to hear, and to experience you like we never have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. In 1982, the first lady, Nancy Reagan, was asked a question by a student, a little girl, and she gave a response. The drug epidemic was on in America. It was beginning to grow and develop. And the little girl said, if somebody offers me drugs, what should I do? And with three words, the first lady gave a response, and you know those three words. They're sitting on the tip of your tongue. She gave a response, and that would become the slogan. It would be the thing that would carry the theme for America through the 80s and into the 90s of how students and kids and teenagers were supposed to deal with drugs. Somebody drives down the road, pulls up, looks at the car window and says, hey, would you like to buy some drugs? They give you these three words. You're walking along, you're living life, uh, you're playing ball somewhere, and somebody says, hey, 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 here's something for you. It's free. And they wanted to give you a freebie so that the next time you would make a purchase and want that same high again. And the epidemic was on, and the first lady said, when you get to this place in life, when somebody offers you drugs, just do these three, say these three words. What were they? Just And decades later, they reviewed the Just Say No campaign, and they found out that refusal rehearsal actually increased the curiosity in students to want to find out what drugs actually were. And it actually had the backwards effect because they went into refusal rehearsals, now what it's called, where just say no, just say no. No, my mom said to tell me to tell you no. And my dad said, I got to tell you no. And the first lady said to tell you no. And all of a sudden, though, they would be like curious and wondering exactly what was up with these drugs. And it actually had the backwards effect. Now, if you were a student, how many people were raised in church? If you were not raised in church this morning, thank you for being here. So glad you were. I'm going to have a therapy session with everybody that was. Because being raised in church in the 80s and 90s, basically we had the just say no campaign towards sex the same way they had it towards drugs. Refusal rehearsal. Just say no. And here's why. Just say no because the Bible says so. Just say no because you'll get an STD. Just say no because you'll get pregnant or get her pregnant. That was it. And they... They camped out. They lived on these three things. If you just say no, you'll avoid these things. And the problem is, all of a sudden, kids went, but that looks like a lot of fun. Why am I saying no to that? And so we built in this thing, and we just lost control. We lost the battle. We lost the fight. And we could not establish something to stand on because instead of pointing the students, the teenagers, people towards a life of purity, we were just directing them towards a life of just say no based on reasons versus motives. And so in our lives today, 
the same challenge exists. Because listen, I grew up in those days, in the 80s and the 90s, and I knew girls that would take off their purity ring and then have sex and then put it back on. I knew boys that carried around protection in their wallets and go in the church, lifting their hands to worship God and dealing with all the same things because that mentality just does not hold in your life. So you've got to have a deeper root. You've got to have more reason. There's got to be another way for you to live. Now, you're like, well, pastor, are you just talking to teenagers and students? No, no, no. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to each one of us. Because here we go. There is an epidemic in this world today that is so great. I read a report just this week that said pornography use in the marriage is more than three times as likely to lead to divorce within two years. So if you're considering like, hey, we need to spice it up, we need to add something in, just know you are three times more likely to get divorced in the next two years when you do. We need to have a passion for purity that causes us to go, no, no, we don't need that. We need something. God created sex. It's his idea. It's his intention. It's his thought process, his thought that he gave us. So how do we take that and use that the way that he designed it? So there's four lies, and I counted that with four truths. Kind of simple message. I hope it lands. I hope it gets something out of it. I hope for each one of us where we are this morning, it really helps us walk and live in this life of purity. God created sex. It was his idea. He said, hey, hey, it's not good for a man to be alone. So the two became one, one flesh. They had sex. And the very first command God gave mankind was, be fruitful and multiply, a.k.a. have sex. The very first thing he told people to do. It's his idea, his design. But what God creates, the devil counterfeits. He's really good at it. So it should make us realize that if God really like something he much, so much that he created it, the devil really hates something so much that he counterfeits it. Remember, the enemy cannot be a creator. He's just a counterfeit artist. So God said, hey, I want you to be prosperous and have resources. And the enemy counterfeits it with materialism. God says, hey, I want you to move and I want you to have worship in your life and have one God. And the enemy comes in and distracts you and gives you counterfeits called idol worship. God creates love. The enemy counterfeits it with lust. God creates community. The enemy counterfeits it with comparisonism. Comparisonism. Wants you to compare it to each other. Gossip about somebody. Destroy that community. God creates so many things for us, and the devil counterfeits each one of them. God created dogs, and the enemy counterfeited with cats. I'm not looking over there. I'm sorry. I love you. I just think too many times in life, we have got to understand that the enemy is only doing his best to counterfeit to you exactly what it is that God has created that would be good for you. In this world, this life we live, Paul gives us some help. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he gave us a couple of scriptures. I want to unpack those today. I want to open those up in the next couple minutes and really lean in. Because the idea of purity 
has to have some kind of direction to it other than just saying no. But there's got to be a yes attached to it. You've got to understand that when you say no to this, you're saying yes to something else. That in order to walk away from this, you're allowing yourself to walk into this. And I think these are the keys that we can really live our lives with. Because physical intimacy makes for great fulfillment, but poor foundation. God didn't design it to be the foundation of our lives. He designed it to be a fulfillment as a part of our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, I have the right to do anything. What a great scripture. I've heard people say that over and over. I, Justin, you know that one. I got the right to do anything. But then Paul continues to write. To write. So let's keep it in context. But, everything is, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food. That was a saying they would have in Corinth. He said, and, God's, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us up also. I think it's pretty deep. I don't have a lot of time to dive into it. But somehow in this conversation of sexual purity, Paul goes as far as to pull the resurrection power of Jesus into this situation. Like he goes as far as to say, hey, hey, but also the Lord who was raised up will also give us strength in this area of our lives as well. So let's talk about these four truths and these four lies coming from a guy that was living single. We don't have a record of Paul getting married. So Paul is not the preacher that's up there married, but they're telling everybody how to deal with this. This is Paul living this out in his life and encouraging us to as well. Lie number one is simply this told by the world. If it feels good to you, it must be good for you. Oh man, if it feels good, it must be good for me. If it feels good, I mean, like that's not a way to live our lives. If it feels good to me, it must be good for me. Let me just say this. If I lived by that mantra, I'd have driven to church this morning and made a left instead of a right to get here, gone down to 1960, hit the Krispy Kreme. I'd have got a dozen, sat down in the store and eaten them. Then I would have had another dozen. I might have got myself on the little cart, on the little thing, and gone up and just got glazed myself, just covered in the syrup, just covered in the sugar. Because how many of y'all know? Like if, just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. We cannot live our lives based off of following around feelings of, does that feel good to me? Does that feel good for me? Does that feel good for me? Did it feel good to say that to them? Did it feel good to act that way to her? Did it feel good to behave like this? Does that feel good? Because it feels good. It must be good. That is being led by our flesh and by our body. That is not following what God has for us. It's all about counterfeit. It's all about living for what feels good in the moment. If my body craves it, I'll give it to my body without living a life where we go, no, no, I'm going to deny myself some things. I'm going to say no to some things. The idea here in this world, too, is not saying no to sex. It's putting sex in the proper place. 
Because I'm telling you, being raised in those days in the 80s and 90s, there was so much that would just be crammed down your throat in those youth groups and in, in those meetings and talking about sex. You just got to a point where you thought sex is evil, sex is bad, sex is ugly. And I don't want anything to do with sex. Anybody? And then you realized, wait a minute. Because if you follow the ways of the world, it feels good, I just want to do it. We put ourselves in very unhealthy situations. So the truth is just simply this, found in verse 12. The truth is, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Paul said, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So we cannot believe the lies. He goes on to say in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Because sin always overpromises and underfulfills. Always. Always promises you more, always comes in with less. Sin always will do this. It will always set you up with this dream, this idea, this concept that it's going to be like this. And then it always comes in leaving you frustrated, disappointed. Here's a couple of lies that we believe. We feel like, well, they're good. They feel good. Lie number one, no one will find out. Nobody's going to find out. But this is the problem with secrets. Secrets separate. So in a marriage, in a relationship, if you're living your life where you have something, you go, but nobody will find out about it. You are putting yourself in this place where all of a sudden you're separating yourself from somebody that you want to be either rather close to. You're separating yourself because, well, nobody will find out. There should always be somebody in your life that knows everything about you. Everything. Everything. There should be somebody in your, because if you're carrying secrets that nobody knows about, it is, you're not built, we're not created by God to carry things on our own. So we can't believe the lie. Nobody will find out. It won't hurt anybody else. Number two, simply that, it won't hurt anyone. It's a lie. It feels good to me, it won't hurt anyone else. Ever heard of baggage? Everybody thinks that sex, intimacy is physical. But the Bible teaches us that it's actually so much more than that. It's emotional, spiritual. It's your soul engaging as well. It's your full body. It's everything that you are now becoming one with another person. And when you're in that moment, you may then have a few minutes and then separate physically, but now you have a tie emotionally. Now you have a tie spiritually. Now you are tethered to somebody and you have this thing in your life and the purity bond that you have is now broken and needs to be restored back again. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying it's hurting you more than you think it is. It's not a one-night stand. It's not a hookup. It's not just a, a, a friend with a benefit. It's somebody that's the, that is meaning so much more down in your soul than you actually are giving it credit for. We cannot look, as rela look at relationships as just transactional. I need that from you and you need this from me. Relationships go way deeper than just a transactional sense. One of the greatest things, though, that the Scripture teaches us is that in our lives, if we've lived this way, if we've had these moments, if this is a part of our past, that the curse of sin is broken. Come on, somebody. 
that no matter what I've been through, no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, that the moment I've stepped into a place of redemption and salvation from God, from my sin, the curse over my life is broken and I am not that person any longer. And God now restores purity back into my life again. The key is now can you continue to live your life inside of that purity one more time over again? Can you stay on that path? Can you stay in that way? But there are consequences. The Bible teaches us it goes that visits the third and fourth generation. Like it will hurt, that will run, but the, the grace of God is greater. Another lie is simply this, I can handle it. And this is the go-to phrase of anybody that's about to mess up. I can handle it. I can handle that drink. I can handle that drug. I can handle that thing. I can handle that person. I can handle that fling. I can, I can handle it. And yet, here's the cycle that sin follows. It always does. It's a cycle. Temptation, pride, confidence in me. Then I act on that sin. Then I have guilt. Then I have shame. And then I have temptation again. And it's a circle. And it's a cycle. The temptation is there. I have pride to think I can handle this. I'm bigger than this. Then I fall into that sin. I engage it. I act on it. Then I feel bad for what I did. I'm guilty of it. Then I feel ashamed because God knows I knew better, but I did it anyway. And they told me you can't handle this, but I said I could. Just as soon as that shame has its way with me, the temptation comes back around. And I'm right back in that same cycle. Line number two says I can handle it, but the truth simply says this. Keep sex within marriage. I thought of like a better way of putting that. Like a more like, I, but that's just the truth of it. That God designed this for a particular place and for a particular reason. And we have to understand, and I don't want you to hear this as simply this, because the Bible says so. I want you to hear this from a place that God has this for you and I in our lives to be able to bring us fulfillment, satisfaction, procreation, to do things for us that can't be done in other ways, but it also to be done in our marriages where it's healthy and where we can be whole. He writes in verse 16, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the one, with the Lord, is one with him in spirit. Proverbs simply tells us this, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Now, he's obviously not talking about water here. It's a metaphor. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. My son, why be intoxicated with another man's wife and why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Sex in God's order always brings pleasure, but the counterfeit version will always bring pain. Eventually. I'm not denying that in the moment it's not, but there is a pain that is in your soul. There's a pain that is in your emotions. There's a pain that is in your spirit. There is something that happens inside of us that only then God can heal. Lie number three, simply this, every sin is the same. 
Every sin is the same. Well, it's just the same as anything else I do. It's just the same as everything else. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. The world tells us, well, it's my body, it's my choice. And you can politically believe that in America if you want to. But I'm not running for office, and I'm not an elected official. I am your pastor. And I want to tell you this morning that the Bible doesn't teach us my body, my choice. The Bible teaches us right here in verse, in, in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever commits these sins commit them against their own body. Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit, verse 19, who, in whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, the world would have us believe that it's all the same. Even the church would even fall to this concept at times. So what did it do? It taught us to just fight against it. Fight that thought. Fight that lust. Fight that temptation. Fight that thing. Fight against it, and you'll win. But the Bible doesn't even teach us. The Bible tells us to, tells us to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible tells us to stand strong in the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6, we go through a whole series on the armor of God that he gives us to fight the enemy. But when it comes to sexual temptation, when it comes to sexual immorality, the scripture is clear. It does not tell us to fight. Verse 18 says, flee. Don't even think you can stand and fight this thing. Run. The lie is everything is the same. Every sin is the same. The truth is you don't just fight it. You flee from it. The scriptures are explicit here. When it comes to it, you're in the office and somebody has just been a little bit more and more every day, flipping their hair one way, winking their eye one way. And you, oh, it's just them. It's just who they are. It's just the way that she is. He's a little bit friendlier. He helps you more than he helps everybody else. Oh, that's just the way he is. You need to run. You can't fight that thing. We're not any match on our own for sexual sin and temptation. Flee from it. Run from it. Psalm 24 says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol, swears by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord, the God their Savior. Many people fall into sexual sin. Not, they fall into it because they lack wisdom, not willpower. You cannot rely on your own willpower to fight against this sin. You must rely on the wisdom of God. And in this place, in this case, the scripture says when it comes down to it, you're tempted to open up your phone and look at that website. You're tempted to talk to that person. You're tempted to go and slide in the DMs. You're tempted to answer somebody else that slid into your DMs. You're tempted to do these things. You have to understand it is not a battleground for you to stand and fight on. It is a place that you run. Now, I'm telling you because the question simply to me and probably to you is, well, where do I run? I'm running to somebody to have a conversation with them. So if it's me, I'm running to somebody and I'm having a conversation with them and I've had to do this in my life. I've had to do this while I've pastored this church. I've had to do this in my life and I'm sure you have too. 
but do you have somebody you can run to? That when something happens and it's out of order, out of context, out of place, and you know it, you can't deny it. Who do you have that you can pick up the phone and go, hey, whoa, I got to tell you something. You need to have somebody that you can run to and literally have a conversation with them about it. Why? Because people don't fall in love. They fall in sin. We use that term when we toss it around and we kick it around. I fell in love. You chose love. I chose to be in love with my wife. And I could make a choice, she could make a choice to choose to stop loving any day at all. But every day we choose to love. I didn't fall into it. I didn't get trapped. She didn't like, oh, look, I got Dave now. He's trapped. But we fall in sin all the time because it's a snare and it's a trap. And the enemy makes it look so good, makes it feel so excuse me, makes it feel so good, makes it seem so good. <clears throat> Music got going and I got all emotional. <clears throat> he would have us think that just because of those things that what must be good for me. What a lie. That has been working thousands of years and he'll keep on doing it. It works for him. So we need the wisdom of God, not relying just simply on our own willpower to say, I'm going to outsmart the fox. I'm going to overcome this by running. I have somebody I can run to because I don't want to fall into sin. We put this stage, we built it, and they got this stuff here. And one of the purposes of this rug was I would stay on the rug. You can't see this from there. The rug is my boundaries. I've preached at churches with larger stages, and they know their camera people are in for a workout. I will work your stage from end to end, front to back. Walk a lot, talk a lot, move fast at times. And I'm supposed to stay on this rug, but there are times I leave my boundary. There's times I step out of it. Stepping out of the boundary here, I'm okay. Less light. Maybe harder to see. Stepping out of the boundary up here, and I'm falling, and I'm getting hurt when I fall. Because when you fall into sin, you get hurt. Somebody else gets hurt. Damage toll is unlimited when we fall. So we've got to do what we can to guard ourselves and build boundaries and protect us from these snares. I would have people say, I mean, how close is too close? How far is too far? How much is too much? Pastor, what can we do? What can't we do? What's your boundary? What's your heart behind that? Is your heart a passion for purity? That above, above all, God, whatever you have for me in my life, I'm not willing to sacrifice my purpose for this passion. Number four, the lie is when you messed up this area of purity, you're finished. Like God can't use you anymore. God could never use you. He's done with you. Your life is over. You messed this up. 
And there was even threats and sprinkles of that in church growing up, that if you did this, God will write you off. But the truth is simply this. I need to rely on God's power to sustain my purity. I need to rely on Him. Now let me give you an illustration. We have two vehicles in our family. We have my truck and we have Terra's Suburban. We have one clean vehicle, we have one dirty vehicle. If you ride in my truck, you'll be like, man, it's clean. Wow. You ride in Terra Suburban, you might have to like There it is. Oh, one vehicle carries just one person. One vehicle carries children, animals, herds, flocks. One vehicle just, I, we can get around. And we don't really call them mine so much as we share them. But there's one vehicle for an individual and then there's one vehicle for everybody. And the vehicle that has everybody in it is got french fries shoved somewhere. There's always goldfish. If you ever find a shortage of goldfish in the world, go look in the Suburban. Anybody know what I'm saying? You got a minivan? You got goldfish. Why? Because it's used. Because they, they get in there and they make messes. Could you imagine we're like, hey, you made a mess. You'll never ride in this vehicle again. Now, I don't let them ride in my truck hardly, you know. <laughs> but you can rely on your own power, your own willpower, or you can rely on God's. So I got Tara one of those monthly memberships. Go to the car wash as often as you want, as much as you want, unlimited drive through, they'll clean the outside, park it over here, they'll clean the inside. Some of y'all need monthly memberships with God. You drive through there, God, I'm, I'm trying to do my best, but I saw something today. I looked at something today. I thought about something today. You need accountability. You need a place where you go to and you go, I'm going to scrub that clean. I'm going to get that out. I'm going to work that thing through. I'm going to have to make sure I take care of that. Otherwise, your vehicle just becomes that thing when you get used to it. You ever ride in somebody's vehicle is dirty and you see the dirt and they don't see it? Don't look at nobody. You look straight ahead when you answer that question. Why? Because you become immune to it, numb to it, desensitized to it. You don't realize that those french fries are still there and bags and all kind of stuff is there. In your life, you need to have something in place that you're cleaning that stuff out and living with a passion for purity. And here's why. When we rely on God's power to sustain us, it keeps us for our purpose. It keeps us for our purpose. I'm telling you, like, this is the, one of the biggest things that kept me, that will hold you, that will lead your life, that there is a purpose God created you for way bigger than any feeling can satisfy. Way bigger than any person 
any thought, any company that you could crave. There is something that God has for you to do that when you step into that, it brings you so much satisfaction in your life. And the truth is, is when you're saying no, when you learn to run and flee from sexual immorality, things that are not pure, you've got to have a place to run. You're running to somebody to have a conversation for accountability, but you're also running to your purpose because you're telling God, I value what you're doing with my life more than that moment of satisfaction. So let me ask you this question, what is your purpose? Do you understand why you're here? Do you know what God's doing with you? Do you have a why? Some people have a why that they won't step out of their marriage because they don't want their kids to get hurt. Some people have a why that they won't step out of their marriage because they don't want to lose their job because they're in a place where that would compromise it. Some people have a why that they won't do something because of this other. I'm telling you, your why has got to be the strongest thing in your life. Your why has got to be at the top shelf that nobody can reach except you. Your why has got to be that very thing to get you out of bed in the morning and put you to sleep at night. That why has got to be the thing that gets you going and makes you just get creative and the juices start flowing and no thing that comes along gets in your way because of that why. My why is simply, I live to please God more than I please myself. Sounds kind of basic, but it will hold you. It'll keep you. It'll preserve you. God wants us to have fulfillment and satisfaction in this area, but in the right context and in the right way. Because if it's out of context, out of order, it's damaging to your life and to your purpose. Think about a fire. A fire keeps us warm. A fire cooks our food. A fire does so many things for us. This morning, if you took a warm shower, you have heat, fire to thank for that. Had a hot cup of coffee, fire to thank for that. But a fire that is not kept, that is not put in boundaries, that is not put in a place where we can control it is damaging and harmful because the fire will devour a whole city in a moment. You have to have that thing in your life under control, God's control, and rely on Him. Would you stand with me this morning? The scripture that I'm about to read you is not there to condemn us. It's not there to make us feel bad. Paul kind of closes out this thought. He says, do you not know, verse 19, do, do you not know? And he's not making you feel bad if you don't know this. He's teaching you something or reminding you of this, that your bodies, this body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
Sometimes you read a verse and you're like, man, that is going to shame me all the way down. I have messed that up and screwed that whole thing up. This is not to do that. This is to encourage you that you realize, wait a minute, because here's the problem. When we talk about this, the body, soul, spirit, and the spirit is to reign, and then the, the body is in less, and we keep the body in submission, it's not the idea that the body is meaningless and worthless. Your body has great value. If nobody's ever told you that, you've never thought about that, you didn't realize that, your body has immense value. This is handcrafted by the Creator Himself, put together, thought, and stitched up together. He loves this body, this flesh, these bones, these, this skin. He loves the complexion of your skin. He loves the color of your hair. He created the color of your eyes. He made you the way you are. Your body on the outside is crafted by His hands, and He loves you as you are. You need to value this flesh and these bones and this body and take care of it. But you value it the most, not just because he gave it to you to keep it healthy and take care of it, but because his spirit as a believer now resides in here. No longer needed was a temple from the Old Testament, but now this is the temple. This is the carrier. This is the thing that carries God's presence. So when I walk into a boardroom, God's presence is there. When I walk into a preschool, God's presence is there. When I walk to the car wash, God's presence is there. When I go to a sporting event, God's presence is there. When I coach some t-ball games, God's presence is there. When I go home at night, God's presence is there. When I'm in that situation and I'm in the temptation and I'm looking at something and I've got a moment to decide, God, your presence is there and I've got to rely more on you than on my own willpower. This scripture should encourage you. It should pick you up. It should help you believe you can overcome, that you can win, that you are the one who can live pure and victorious, not in yourself, but because the Holy Spirit now resides inside of you. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the carrier of His presence. And He's willing to wash you, scrub you, clean you, because He's placed the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let me encourage you with these words. Because I'm telling you, when I looked at the, 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 the songs, I was like, Pastor Jessica does hear from God. I knew she does. But I was like, that is a great song to sing. Because we're talking about, I'm going to give you something. We're talking about blessings for generations. Generations. You've got to have a purpose greater than yourself. We were at my parents' anniversary party Friday night. And my mom said, somebody, she walked up to somebody, I had just been born. No coincidence, it was me, but I had just been born. I have two older siblings, a younger sibling. And I had just been born, and she walked up, she said, she said to her, this will tell you what kind of church I grew up in, Sister Johnson, she said, um, what's the secret to parenting? How do I raise my kids for God? telling you it's good you should write it down she said raise your kids to give you godly grandchildren she said don't raise your kids to be godly children raise them to give you godly grandchildren because you're thinking generationally oh sister johnson knew something about generations she knew something about going beyond just what you see right here but understanding that if you can have a line of purity run through your life, 
that you can have a line of purity run through your family. That if you can abstain from evil, flee sexual immorality, get away from those things, suddenly the blessing of God will rest on your home. The blessing and the goodness of God will follow you all your days. The blessing and the goodness of God is with you wherever you go. That the blessing and the goodness of God keeps you, protects you, watches over you, sustains you. Not because of your willpower, but because of His Holy Spirit. And what was painful can now be filled with purpose. What was harmful can now find healing. My life has meaning more than just instant gratification. Because what God gives us to do, He gives us the ability to do it. He gives us His Holy Spirit to do it. He enables us to do it. He doesn't just require us to do it and then wishes that you're on your own. Good luck. He actually gives us the ability to do it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Close your eyes for a moment. Now, I've said a lot this morning. I've covered a lot of spectrum. We could go on a long time. We won't. We're going to stop right here. And I don't know the background everybody that walked in here with, what that looks like for you what you've come out of, where you come from. Doesn't matter, raised in church. Doesn't matter, were or wasn't. Doesn't matter, lived for God. In this moment right now, where you are is the result of all your decisions, choices. And in your life, you're looking at it, and I don't want you to hear this message and feel shame or condemnation. I want you to hear this message and feel encouraged and uplifted and find hope that no matter how you walked in here myself included God's presence inside of me empowers me and enables me equips me for everything I'm going to face I want you to think about word purity in your life What does it mean to you? What does the word purity mean in your life? When you hear it, what do you hear? What do you feel? Maybe you've just never thought about it. Maybe it seems more prudish. Maybe it's just not something that has ever landed with you. Maybe it's something that has been foreign to you. Maybe your history is more like mine, where it was just something that was misguided, misled, with the best of intentions, but... You've got to define it for yourself what it is. You've got to work it into your life. Because God does want us to have a passion for purity in our lives. God, I thank you today for what you're doing inside of each one of us. That you're working things out. Maybe somebody this morning needs to go through that car wash, that that thing, and get things vacuumed out, scrubbed out, cleaned out, washed out from the inside out, on the outside, all the way around. Maybe somebody's got to go and delete some stuff. They got to go and delete some phone numbers, some history. They got to delete some messages. They got to delete some websites. Maybe somebody's got to go through and have a conversation. Maybe somebody's got to go to somebody and go, hey, I got some secrets and I got to just be open. So maybe everybody has a step in one direction or another. God, you know what those are. God, I pray that in this series, we have make a movement towards healthy relationships. 
we move towards being that person of purity that you want us to be. God, as we talk about being single and we talk about being married and we have these other conversations, these are foundational messages that I must know who I am and I must have a commitment to have purity in my life before I can become any of those other things. So God, lead each one of us today. God, with our eyes, not just on today, but on tomorrow and the day after that. God, give us vision for the future. Give us hope for the next. God, give us an ability to believe, to become all that you want us to be. God, we're not going to believe the lie that once we, who we once were, what we once did, the way we live will be held against us. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. And whom Jesus gives life to can have life and life more abundant. So God, I pray today, no matter what we walked out of, no matter where we've come from, no matter who we've been, in this moment right now, we can find wholeness and we can find health in our spirit and in our body and our soul. God, so we worship you. God, because we're so much more than what we just see right now. Come on, church, let's do May His favor be upon you in a thousand generations. In your family, in your children, in the children, in the children. May His presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in the coming, in your going. the hill of the Lord who can go after God who can pursue God who can seek God who can walk out God's purpose in their life he who has clean hands and a pure heart God this morning for each hand that is lifted towards you I pray you would bring us purity clean our hands clean our hearts clean our eyes clean our memories clean our minds clean every part of us God that would be held back that may be impure in some format or another and God, put us in a space, in a place where we walk before you, whole 
and healthy. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Come on, put your hands together.